Thank you, Rob. And uh, again, good morning uh, to all of you. First, I want to say uh, <clears throat> that I'd like to offer some words of deep gratitude for our children, uh, for Stephen and Meg and Rob and Heidi and a supporting cast of uh, family and friends who helped uh, lead last Sunday's children's worship experience. If you did not see it, uh, I urge you, encourage you to go to our website and check it out. It, it was a, a marvelous and wonderful gift to the congregation, and uh, I hope you'll take time to, to uh, enjoy uh, their gift as they led us in worship last week. And I'd like to take a moment kind of to remember uh, where we've been and uh, where we're going. Uh, we made our way through the middle of the Gospel of Matthew uh, this past summer, thought about many different aspects of discipleship. And today I'm kind of coming down the home stretch as I share my final series of sermons uh, before my retirement on October 31st. And believe it or not, I have already picked out my mask uh, for that final day. It'll look something like this, I suppose. Uh, very appropriate <coughs> for the time. Anyway, it seems uh, fitting that we turn to Paul's letter to the Philippians as we begin this final sermon series. This letter is thought to be one of uh, his last and offers uh, significant reflections on his ministry that I think remain relevant today and particularly relevant uh, for our church family. And uh, during this series, I'll be weaving in some of my own memories, my own retirement reflections, and so, so I hope these uh, coming weeks are meaningful for all of us. Uh, some of those memories I have are related to returning from vacations or continuing education events or sabbaticals. After one vacation, I checked in with a church member uh, to see how things went. One of my colleagues accepted the assignment to preach while I was gone, and the church member said to me, well, uh, to be honest, it was a, gosh, it was a really dull sermon. It <laughs> wasn't any substance to it at all. In fact, most of the folks fell asleep. So I thanked her. I checked in with my colleague, and I said, well, how, how did things go last Sunday? And he said, great, great. We, were, we had a lot of great things going on, but I didn't have time to put together a sermon, so I looked in your office and borrowed one of yours. Uh, <coughs> after a sabbatical break, the board chair dropped by the office. She said, I have some good news to share with you. First, the attendance rose dramatically in the past three months while you were gone. And then the board, the board voted to send you a welcome back card and it passed, 40 to 39. And, and the ministry leadership team, gosh, the way you wrote up your job description about how things should happen on sabbatical, they, you know, they were so inspired that they formed a search committee to find somebody capable of filling the position. So anyway, no, none of that happened at all, but, but, uh, <laughs> but I am thankful. <laughs> I am thankful uh, that our church family sees the need for its pastors to take time and recharge our batteries. Amen, Dr. Lowe, and welcome back to you. It's been, uh, we, we have missed you. Uh, one of my most meaningful sabbatical experiences was to spend a week in at Christ Mount Retreat Center in Black Mountain, North Carolina. I think Black Mountain is North Carolina's version of, of Mount Sinai. Uh, 
the Presbyterian Montreat Center and the YMCA's Blue Ridge Assembly and the Graham's Holy Land are all there. Uh, and I spent some time outdoors enjoying the beauty and wonder of God's creation and the time I spent indoors wasn't too bad either. Well-respected preacher and professor and scholar and teacher of preachers, Dr. Fred Craddock led a study of Philippians. Dr. Craddock was my most influential preaching mentor. And besides reading his books and hearing his lectures, I had the privilege of taking classes from Dr. Craddock uh, during my doctor of ministry program. And some of, you were, some of you were here when he preached to a packed out uh, sanctuary, our former sanctuary in 1996, to a nationally televised uh, audience. Uh, that service went uh, way beyond these walls. And I had not officially started at the time, but the church family flew me from Waco to Louisville to participate and, and to preside at the table during that worship experience. And so we have come full circle. Who knew? Who, who knew that I would begin and end my time as a televangelist? <laughs> All the way from Craddock to COVID. Full circle. Anyway, some great memories. And now I'd like us to, uh, to flip to Philippians, if you will. Let's think about the context, the background for this letter. This letter uh, to the Philippians is generally a positive apostle's epistle, despite the fact that it's written from prison. Can you imagine? Uh, the first chapter begins with a typical greeting, and then it moves to a message of thanksgiving for the Philippians. There's a prayer, comments about his jail time, and concern about a potential crisis in the Philippian congregation. Paul is in prison, but he is making the most of it. It's amazing. In fact, he believes that his prison time is helping spread the gospel. Can you imagine? He begins to consider the consequences related to his future. He ponders, you know, if if I'm executed, news of my death will go viral and believers would have a chance to talk about my faithfulness to the gospel. But if that doesn't happen, he also believes that he is living and he is living as one who believes in Christ so deeply that he uses the phrase, my living is Christ. Notice that he doesn't say with Christ or in Christ. He says, my living is Christ. Small words, but big differences in the meaning here. He feels that he is so immersed. He is so immersed in the gospel, in, in, the, in the mind of Jesus, that for him to be alive is Christ. So that wherever he goes, he is an ambassador, a representative for Christ. And then he has this strong spiritual connection to the Philippian church. And he exhorts and urges them, stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind. For what? For the faith of the gospel. And although these words were written a long time ago and far away, pretend that you are a member of First Church Philippi. You know, some complain about the quarantines right now and social distancing right now. Can you imagine 
if your founding pastor was in jail. It might happen. Uh, <clears throat> what if? What if Susan or Stephen or Rob or I had been thrown into prison because of our preaching or our protesting? How would, how would that go over around here? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It could happen. I mean, it could happen. It could happen. Uh, I, 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 saw, I saw a cartoon that depicts a well-dressed pastor sitting in a, a very comfortable chair, and the caption reads, Pastor Smith suddenly realizes that wherever Paul went, there was either a riot or a revival. Wherever he goes, they serve Starbucks in scones. Mm -mm -mm. And so, here is a creative Cradockian paraphrase of today's text. Get your mind off me. I am not the center of the church. I'm prepared if I live, I'm prepared if I die. With all I've gone through with this aching body, I'd be glad to be free of it and let the angels take me to my rest. But I think God has a lot more for me to do, so I'll probably get back to you and work with you someday. In fact, I'm pretty confident about that. No church can survive built around the preacher. The church is built around Jesus, and I am the one in prison. Jesus is not in prison, right? Amen? I, I, he is the Savior and foundation of the church, and preachers will come and they will go, and you'll have young ones and old ones and good ones and bad ones, but the church is still the church. And I, I, want, you to, I want you people to prove all those prophets of doom wrong, prove that they are wrong when they say the attendance will go down now that Paul is not here, prove that they are wrong when they say the offerings are going to decline when Paul is not here, prove them wrong when they say, I think the members will kind of drift off when Paul's gone. Prove them wrong. Stay together. Stand together. Hmm, those words still work. These words are still good words. Stand together. Stand firm in the spirit. Stand side by side. And we know of examples of how that works inside and outside of the church. You know, before football season returned, some of us tried to cope by watching some of the classic sports and football films. I confess, I, <laughs> I watched Remember the Titans again, John, and again. I, I, I love it. It's based on a, a true story of two coaches, one white, one black, who are asked to coach a newly integrated team and the head coach played by Denzel Washington tries to get the team to forget their differences and focus on their common goal and they do they do not easy to get there but they do and they change and they begin to play some pretty good football right and, and this change affects an entire town and that town is eventually able to stand together. We see it happen with marvelous musicians. The director of the UofL marching band is a member of the church. You know, I can't even chew gum and talk at the same time. I mean, I, seriously. 
but, but she is able to coordinate a couple of hundred students to do amazing things. And you know why that is? They take on the mind of the director. They all take on the mind of the director who has a vision of excellence and precision and teamwork. Imagine what would happen with the marching band if just a few folks decided to do their own thing. How would that work? It wouldn't. It'd all blow up. We're seeing it in our city and other places where people are courageously coming together to stand for what is right and just. The debate, the debate last Tuesday was terribly disappointing and divisive. And so we long and we pray for leaders at all levels to put the people of the community and the commonwealth and the country ahead of personal gain. You know, what, what a daunting task we all have before us. Can we bring a deeply divided and conflicted people together? We mourn the passing of Justice Ginsburg, who showed us that we can be great friends with those who have a very different opinion about life. Oh, amen. And whether we agreed or disagreed with her decisions and dissents, we can all learn a lot from her about civil discourse. Civil discourse, it's not an oxymoron. It can happen. Uh, her light and life and legacy will live on. Some of her memorable lines include thoughts like these. She said, I'm a very strong believer in listening and learning from others. You can disagree without being disagreeable. Emotions like anger and envy zap energy and waste time. She said, fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. That's the wisdom. She said, real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time. And so we continue to pray and work for peace and the common good. And we are in the midst of many significant changes here as well. Transitions with staff and new possibilities for ministry. This is a very important time for us to stand together. And many of my most meaningful memories will be the memories of time spent with our saints, as Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I recall conversa uh, conversations with someone who joined the church in 1949 and served the church faithfully and well in a variety of capacities for decades. But one thing I really respected about him was his commitment to the church, even when he had a different opinion. Sometimes he'd take me to lunch and he'd say very candidly, Lee, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I don't agree with what we're doing. And then he would add, he'd say something like this, I also want you to know that since the majority of the church wants this to happen, I will support it too. And he did. Time and again he did with words and actions and financially. He knew it was more important to stand together than to get his own way or be divisive, and he offered 
an excellent example to those who knew him. In like manner, we come from a whole variety of different backgrounds, right? We have different preferences and perspectives and political views. We are not cookie-cutter Christians or clones with the same theology, the same social status, the same level of income. We have freedom. Thanks be to God, we have freedom. And we can let our differences divide us or we can let our common experience of God's grace unite us. Our quest for truth will lead us to serious discussions, but our goal, our goal is not to be right. Our goal is not to win. Our goal is to know God better together and to strengthen the church. Amazing things happen when Christians stand at the, at the crossroads of the Holy Spirit and human need. And that's where we need to stand. These words from Paul are so appropriate for this World Communion Sunday. Today we celebrate with people of faith all over this big planet. And we remember we do this in remembrance of him. We remember Jesus' words around the table and his prayer for us. I give you a new commandment, that you love each other as I have loved you. And I pray, oh God, I pray that my disciples may all be one just as we are one. This table, this table stands for what we should stand for together.